0: Hey America, this is Daryl Fielding back again with another episode of the Triumph Podcast. Our guest today is a successful couple. They're entrepreneurs and real estate investors, and it's also my brother and sister-in-law. So Lauren and Brenda, thanks for being with us on the show. Good to be here. Hi. So, to get started, I kind of wanted the listeners to get an idea of what your guys' mindset was like towards money when you first got married. So what before you guys met and got married, what was kind of your observations? What were some of your attitudes towards money from things you were taught as a kid, what you observed as a kid, that it kind of maybe shaped the way you looked at money and, and business?
1: Well, my father was a, a medical doctor. And uh, all 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 the time growing up, he was always looking ways. Uh, he paid him his way through medical school by, just buying houses on the weekend and fixing them up and selling them. And he basically had no debt when he got out of medical school. And I think at an early age, he always taught us how to look at things as a way that you can do anything you want to do. And, uh, and he gave, he would always invite me to all little meetings that he would have. And I wouldn't say my dad was overly successful in, in other types of, you know, investing. Uh, some of them he made money on and some of them he lost money on but it kind of got me a taste of wanting to succeed and as a young boy moving sprinkler pipe in Idaho I knew that wasn't going to give me very much money and uh so you know my dad my my dad would always um you know say, well, why don't you do this? You can make a lot more money than doing that. And so little by little, I started to just, you know, get lessons from my dad. And so I kind of grew up with the mindset of, you know, being an entrepreneur and making money and investing. And, and there was a lot of little things like that, that he would have us invest in.
0: Was a lot of that introduction then with real estate, like, were you very involved with when he would buy a house? Were you involved in you know, it up yeah, in fact, uh,
1: you know, when I started trying to make more money, cause my dad wanted us to go on vacation with him and moving a sprinkler to pipe really got in the way of, for him. And so, um, he said here, I'm going to teach you a little bit about real estate. And so he taught me a lot of the terms he taught me to, you know, back then it was, you know, you look in the paper for a house. And, uh, so he taught me everything and then said, not go buy a house. And so I would, he said, just call a bunch of, uh, these guys and go look at the houses and see if they'll carry a contract. And
0: how old were you at this time, Lauren?
1: I was. I, it was around fifteen, sixteen years old. And so uh, you know, I'd show up at these houses and these, you know, forty-five-year-old people would go, uh, "You're the one that's going to buy the house." Yeah, me and my investors. <laughs> and i and then I'd say, "Why?" <laughs> they go, "Oh, no, no reason." And then you know and so we started buying a few houses and, you know for my dad I was looking for him and he already of course through medical school had learned a lot by um, you know buying and selling houses and so eventually I said well I want to buy my own house but you know I was a minor so so my dad said well you find the right deal and I'll co-sign with you for legal purposes And that's kind of how I got off the ground. And I didn't necessarily make a lot of money. I thought I was going to make just thousands upon thousands. And I think I made maybe $1,300 or something, you know, the whole summer. But I learned a lot and had to hire and fire my my friends because they were, you know, spilling five-gallon buckets of paint in the front yard and messing around. And so, But I learned a lot. The education was the biggest thing.
0: So were they, were they fixing flips or did you guys buy and rent them? We actually
1: bought them and for my dad, he, he wanted to keep them. And so he would have me rent them. So same thing, you know, a 35 year old would show up and there's a 16 year old kid, you know, having them fill out a lease and, uh, and that was really uncomfortable for me, but it taught me, you know, how to deal with those kind of situations and, um, so, but but on mine, I was just looking to flip, and so I bought it at the start of the summer and hired my grandfather and great uncle to do the carpentry work, and I did a lot of the painting and clean up, and then at the end of the summer, sold it.
0: Yeah, cool. How about you, Brenda? What were s- some of your mindsets and attitudes towards money from your experiences growing up?
2: Well, I always felt like I could make money by selling something or doing something. And so I was always collecting bottles and and doing little things. I was raised by a Boeing engineer, my dad, but he always had a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit too, even though we were straight middle class, like mm-hmm. straight middle class. But he had like a cheese business. So he would bring in tons and tons of cheese and we'd have to sort it all. And he had quite a cheese business and um, different things like that. But um, I, was always, I was always the obnoxious kid bugging all the neighbors to, you know, sell magazines and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and then, um, but when I met, but when I met Lauren, I didn't, uh, it never occurred to me that people own more than one house. Like you, like, I didn't know how to do that. And, and so I used to, I used to drive by big, huge houses in neighborhoods and just think, how do they, how did they buy this? Like, how do they do it? And yeah. and so I was uh, really amazed when I, you know, we I first read a real estate book. Do you remember what the book was called? That one book, um, and that really opened my eyes because I thought anybody could just buy real estate. You just have to ask people if they want to sell it. And so when we were when we were young uh, marrieds. I just started going to the assessor's office and finding, finding addresses. Of, I, I'd look at a street. So let's say it's Jersey Street, and I would find, I would look at the tax addresses. And if the tax address wasn't was different from the actual physical address, then I knew that an investor owned that. So I'd write down their name and their and their physical address. I mean their address, right. and then. Um, I would write letters, and I started writing about um, probably thirty-six. I remember, I remember, I had it in my head for some reason to get to thirty-six every month, uh-huh. and I had to handwrite them because we didn't own a computer or anything. Yeah. And then um, the the rule of thumb was I'd write thirty-six; ten ten of them would call me back, and we'd buy one. And because I, I we didn't have any money. And they had to be investors that were back on their taxes, too, because I, I, we would then ask the investor if they would take a down payment of their back taxes that we would assume. Uh-huh. And I can explain that later. Yeah. And it was, it was quite amazing because that's how we got started because we had no money, zero. And we had lots of kids. And, and so we would, I would find houses that were back about three years on their taxes and it had to be an investor. Mm-hmm. And then I would, I would ask them to take like $5,000 down and they would owe $4,000 to the government. And then we'd scrap together $1,000 to give them and we would assume their back taxes. And then because, um, well, I'll have to get into that. It's all technical, but yeah. that's how we got started. Yeah. And we started buying a house every month. So, I mean, for not every month, but until we got up to maybe like 17.
0: Now, I'm sure this wasn't like a first date conversation, but like as you guys got to know each other and got married, like did you guys think that real estate, Lauren, you'd had this experience with real estate as a kid, but I know you graduated from college and were going into business, like, was real estate like part of the master plan or was that just kind of back there in the background and it came up later?
1: Well, I think, uh, sometimes there's kind of a certain timing of things. Um, sometimes it's not always, you know, if you're not really settled, you know, sometimes trying to buy a house when you're in a lot of flux, um, sometimes it doesn't work out as well. But once you've kind of set down some roots, uh, at least initially, I think, uh, we, we'd always thought, you know, we need to have something for the future and, we had read a book, I think it was how to buy a house with little or nothing down and uh we had little or nothing and uh so we thought, well, if we just owned one, and that's how what we did is we in fact when we first when we first started out uh we didn't even follow that plan we just you know we we found a a really really cheap house that was in really bad condition and you know, we paid $6,000 for it and we had 3,000 left over from a loan that we had. And then we put the other three on a cash advance on a credit card and bought it. And that was our first rental property. And so we just started out little by little and then we'd refinance that, get our money out and make a little bit of profit. We always tried to at least make a hundred to $150 later to like 200 or more. And Yeah. And, uh, so that's kind of how we, you know, started progressing. But when we first started, we didn't really think of, Hey, real estate's going to be, what's going to do it for us. But you know, we had the mindset at at the time when we first moved to Portland, um, well, I'd like to give myself a raise every single month. And so even though I didn't get a raise at work, I was leasing commercial office space and commercial retail. Um, we, we would just kind of keep it close to the vest because we soon found that people would make fun of you for succeeding. And I never understood that. And after about the second or third house and after being called a slum Lord and different things, and they had never seen my houses. They never knew what I did, but I soon found that we didn't tell and share everything because people, they were ignorant and they, and they would tear you down. So we just kind of, you know, we had our own plan and we just started, you know, sometimes I remember when the day I got laid off, I told my wife, I'm going to go out and buy two houses today. I'm unemployed. We don't have any money. And, uh, our, the only thing was our credit was good, but, um, and sure enough, I came back and, you know, sewed up two two deals. And the funny thing is, it's all about your confidence. Because no one asked me if I had, if I had if I was employed, no one checked my credit, and I used, uh, you know, the money that they owed him back taxes as my, as my down payment, and I literally felt free, like I could just buy a house, yeah. and uh, and no one knew I was unemployed. Wow.
0: So, where do you think that confidence came from? I think, you know, I think there's people that want to get into real estate, or they think real estate's a good. A good opportunity or it'd be a good investment, but they just don't feel like they have the money to get into it or, or they're scared. Like, you know, you hear, you always hear the the person that bought this house and they got underwater and it just didn't work out. Like every horror story in the book, like where did that, were you worried at all? Or Brenda, were you worried at all? when he's like, I'm going to go buy two houses. And he just lost his job. Like, you were like, what?
1: You're crazy. Well, like, well, we would always, uh, we always knew that you made money when you bought the house, not when you sold it. And so we would always be looking for a little niche. You know, Brent and I have always looked for something to make the property more valuable, too. Like sometimes we'd buy a house with a basement and it had an unfinished basement. So later we would we would finish the basement, and all of a sudden the house is worth a lot more, and you get a lot more rent. And all of a sudden we're like, wow, we're making like 450 a month on that house. Yeah. And so, but I think that, I think the, The biggest thing is that people need to, you know, just get off the pot, basically. And they just need to go do something. And the biggest thing is they get that decision constipation where they just can't make a decision. They're too scared. And and they just need to get enough knowledge where they just practice. And sometimes it's an education on a house. You don't have to lose lots of money, but you just may not make a lot. So.
2: And, and you can't be a, afraid to rent your house because even though you, yeah, you maybe have a lot of money invested or you, you just, you just what I do is I take the emotion out of it and I learn the law. So I know the Oregon law very well. And, um, and then you, you have to be wise in who you rent to But you also don't have to be paranoid if you know the law. Because then, and here's a really big factor when you rent, get a huge deposit. Because when you get a tiny deposit and you feel sorry for somebody because they can't get in very easily or whatever, then they have nothing to lose. Once they're in, they have nothing to lose. But if you have a big fat deposit, it's amazing how everyone cleans out their room and they, you know, they leave it really nice and clean for the next person because they want to get all their money back. So that's a huge key.
0: Well, I've heard of people too, maybe it's a kind of the same concept that have rented a house and they'll collect six months rent at a time. And they said like, usually the people that can come up with six months rent are a little bit higher quality of a renter than someone who's just scraping or they're
2: a bad or they're not a good renter because they, for some reason have six months rent and they're more risk. They're high risk.
0: (laughs) That's interesting. So Lauren, as far as like getting off the pot and getting going with that, what advice would you give to somebody who's maybe they are very analytical or maybe they just feel like they're being practical. You know, they, they gotta, they've just got a little bit, they gotta be careful and take care of their family and,
1: Well, the one thing that people don't realize is that there's so many ways to buy a house. Everyone just always thinks you got to get enough money for a down payment, go to the bank, get a loan. And that's, yeah, that's one way, but there's so many easier ways to get it. And so I used to say to some of my friends, would be in a group, and I'd say, hey, if you don't have any money and you're unemployed and you got really bad credit, come talk to me and I'll tell you how you can buy a house. (laughs) And you know What? people had kind of laughed just like you did, Yeah. but it's true. And I only had one guy who ever came up to me and said, I want, I want to learn, I want to do it. And he was working at center city parking. And at the time he was making $7 an hour, taking people's tickets. He had a brand new baby, a young wife, and he wanted to buy a house. And so I told him how, and, uh, I used to not want to tell People a lot about how we did things because I thought everyone's gonna go out and do it, and then they'd saturate the market, and then I wouldn't have any houses to buy. But I soon found that was just the opposite. And so this uh, this guy that I became friends with, he he did what I told him, and he went. And he found this little tiny dinky one bedroom house with sort of an attic area that you couldn't really stand up in, and he bought it for next to nothing down. And him and his wife just fixed it all up, cute and nice. And a year later they more than doubled their money of the value of the house and they went and bought a little two bedroom house. And they'd put all their and because they didn't make a lot of money, they put all their equity into the next house. And then they did that about four or five times until finally they lived in like a what was it, a three or four thousand square foot house, Brenda? Or bigger. Yeah, That's or bigger. And uh so he's the only one that ever really kinda of took my advice. And uh but there's so many ways, uh that you can buy a house, you just have to get more information of why someone's selling a house, and then you can solve their problem. Because you know, we had someone that lived across the street from us, and he wanted to sell his house, and we wanted to buy it, but he wanted all cash. We said, "Well, we don't have all cash." And so I started asking him lots of questions. Well, he owed, you know, he had some money to the IRS, who had a lien on his house. He had money to his. He had owed back taxes and he owed his mom and he, he he didn't have anything that was really left for him. So I literally went, I contacted the IRS, asked him if I could wor- work out a payment plan. And they said, yes. And then I went and said, uh, and I knew I could just pay monthly payments on the back taxes on the property. And then I asked him if his mom would take $50 payments every month And she said yes and so literally we bought the house for nothing down and every time we made our payment we paid it into a collection account and a little piece would go to the irs a little piece would go to mom and the other piece would go to the back taxes and uh and here i didn't have to get a loan i didn't have to come up with any money and no one even checked my credit they were just happy to get a payment and so there's going to be situations like that will happen a lot. Uh, a lot of people you don't realize that a lot of people when they have a rental property, they might start hating it. Yeah. So it's a problem to them and you look at it like, "Wow, why would they get rid of this?" It's cuz they they're, they're sick of it, you know, but sometimes they don't know, you know. So there's there's literally just tons of ways to buy houses. And and you can literally create money out of thin air. When you go to buy a house, because there's so many different ways to buy a house.
2: And about that collection account, it that actually is a uh, comfort thing for a seller, because sometimes they, you know, they get scared like you're going, they're going to sell you their house, but you're going to stop paying them. But if the, if you're set up with a fifteen dollar a month collection account, then they know that the taxes are going to be paid. Everything's going to be paid. It's like
0: an escrow company that handles the the recording of everything, so everything gets yeah, recorded. Yeah, and,
2: and they give you the tax, um, you know, statement. They pay the taxes even, yeah. and so it makes a seller feel much more comfortable. Like, okay, well, they're not just dealing with, you know, a just, fifteen just some year old person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Lauren, I know that. We, we've talked about this. You've, you've said this a lot in to family, different family members, family reunions, but, um, you know, you will say things like, you know, there's money everywhere. You just gotta go out and pick it up. And, uh, I think there's, and maybe this comes from, again, your experiences and things that you guys have done together, but it, it just seems like you always have another way of seeing a different, a different way. Like some people are like, Oh, we're stuck. And like, Oh, well you could do this, this or that.
1: Well, sometimes, uh, people just don't have an, uh, enough experience, um, of seeing things. Uh, like I, I started a tree company when I was very, very poor and, and, uh, lost a lot of money and I'd made some mistakes and people, other people had caused me to ha- have some financial setbacks, but I went into a tree business and you know, it's funny because you know, when you're younger, your parents say, Hey, money, money doesn't grow on trees. Well, in my family, many on trees. And uh, so we would trim trees. and, and But what, what I found is, uh, you know, in my early days of even going into that business, of uh, the tree business, I used to just grind stumps. And sometimes I'd be driving down the road, and everywhere I looked, there was a stump. And so I would, you know, I'd pull over and say, look, you want that stump ground out? Oh, it's too expensive. And I'd quote them a price and they'd say, oh, yeah, sure. And so... I started thinking, well, there's money laying everywhere there's a stump, there's a stump, there's a dead tree and uh but that can be in any kind of business that uh, that you're in um, and for a very long time, I would take just ten or fifteen minutes at the uh, end of a night, and I would just say, Now, how can I improve something in my business and if you'll allow yourself to think and how you can make just a little bit more money in your business by changing something. Cause sometimes you can't see everything cause you're so close to it. But if you concentrate, you'll think, Oh, you know, if I, if I just did this, I could probably make an extra, you know, you know, two or $300 a week. And that really starts adding up. If you can just make little changes that often don't cost you anything. And, uh, but it comes back also to people just need to take a little bit of a chance. You know, the worst thing that's gonna happen is not it's not gonna work. And uh and you don't have to make multimillion dollar decisions, uh, and threaten your, your family's security, but you can make little choices every day. I think that a lot, oftentimes we we don't have a, a good enough self improvement uh plan. And I know for the longest time Brenda and I would uh we'd go to Barnes and Noble and i I'd always at least come out with one book uh, self-improvement that I'd read and then I'd skim through it going, Oh, I know that. I know that. And, and then all of a sudden there's a little gem in there. They go, wow, that was really good. I'm going to try to use that. And so we are always reading success books and, uh, and trying to change the way that we think. And some of the books are just good overall advice that help change how you think. I used to, uh, I give an example once, we, you know, we used to own a beauty salon for a little while because we bought a piece of real estate that had a beauty salon in it. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, seeing the negativity that some of the stylists had. They always had boy problems and money problems. But one day I was talking to them because this one lady had a money problem. I said, well, someone pulled up in a Ferrari and offered offered it to you for $1,000, brand new. Would you buy it? And she goes, well, no, I I don't have the money. I know, but you could resell it for so much money. I know, but I don't have the money. And I go, well, what would you do? She goes, I wouldn't buy it. I go, well, that's ridiculous. Of course you'd want to buy it, but I don't have the money. I go, where could you find it? I don't know. And it boggled my mind that I said, well, don't you think you could find somebody that had money? that could show you, show someone this great, huge deal and they would make half and you'd make half you don't think you could solve that problem by doing that? She goes, no, I don't know anyone that has money. And I'm like, huh? you could f- advertise for someone who had money. And so here was a person who had a very closed mind. And yet in my mind, there's, I would find that thousand dollars so I could make 10 or $15,000 right. immediately. And so a lot of times it's just how we think yeah. you have to change the way you think.
2: And along those lines, you know, we've failed a lot. I mean, we have failed a lot. And we've tried different things. And then sometimes it's succeeded, sometimes it's failed, but we really have failed a lot. And um, there was a point where we were, we had failed and lost like everything, almost everything. And we were, we were going to rent a a house because we had eight kids and so it had to be a bigger house but it was kind of a rundown house and i remember looking over the this little loft area down to the living room and for for just a moment i realized that i i guess i really am poor but i never believed i was poor but i was since i lost everything i was like am I really poor? Maybe I'm just a poor person, but I never believed I was poor ever. And until that moment, I thought, well, maybe I'm just poor and I don't know it. And and I remember Lauren saying um, right about that same time, like, I can't believe I don't have money because I'm supposed to have money. I know I can make money, but all our money's gone. But I can't believe that the money's gone because... I'm supposed to be, I'm the kind of person that should have money. (laughs) And it's not because um, he was trying to be uh, boastful. It's just I think we always both believed that we were successful. And so when we failed miserably at some things, I think it surprised us like, wait, we never thought we would be in this situation. But it didn't take that, I mean, it does take, it did take us uh, years to come back back out of that but um but it's but we always still believed that we would yeah. come out of it but we just had to you just have to work hard and come up with new ideas so when we were in that hard situation um we got a little tax refund that's when he realized he could buy a stump grinder And he bought one and then he realized, why am I grinding stumps when I can take down trees that are, that people pay thousands of dollars to take down. And, and then he borrowed, um, a little bit of money from his friend and we bought our first chip truck and paid back the little loan in one month. And then he went over to the dealership that sells like heavy equipment and, um, you know, he just put a little down payment on that and we paid back our, Paid off our first chip truck, you know, really yeah. fast. Anyway, and that's how we started the tree company. And then right during that time, we I was able to save from the stumps. I was able to save a little bit of $2,000, and I bought an English bulldog. And that English bulldog um, produced thousands of dollars for us. You know, we paid for weddings with that, missions, all kinds of stuff with that dog. And then... Um, and then it just progressed after that and then um we were able to then we were able to build our first house and so we went from a rental house to a 7000 square foot house <laughs> yeah but
0: so do you mind if i ask how old were you guys when you went through that financial hardship and lost most everything you're in your 40s you're in your 40s i think it's interesting cuz you it's like you you said you guys have, had the expectation like I should have money. Like that was just like the expectation. You know, but I think a lot of people can relate to either having lost lost something or the fear of losing, you know, what they have. Like when you went through that experience, was there did you go through a period of time where you're like, oh my gosh, this sucks. Like oh. I, I screwed up. Like, yeah. Or
1: Yeah, in fact, I think uh we kind of went through a little bit of a daze because we were, you know, it was depressing. I mean, we lost a lot of money. Um, a lot of the real estate we'd bought and sold and made a profit on and lost all that money and and uh but I think it came to the point where I um I still had a tractor <laughs> and I didn't have a place to park it, but I mean I had a tractor that I kept it a friend's and I started thinking, Well, I could mow fields. I could at least make thirty five or forty five dollars an hour and so I started doing that but the whole time I started thinking I still have my mind and if you have your mind um you know you can do anything you could you could plot me anywhere in the United States and with no money and and I would figure out okay what's the situation here what's the need um and then enhance that need and I could either buy houses I could start a business. I mean, my wife said once, hey, if you move, if we move out of Oregon and go over here and there's not any trees, what would you do? I go, well, I'd probably start a heating and air conditioning business because it's really hot there. And, uh, or, or it's hot and cold there because if you don't know the business, you just need to hire someone who's really smart that does know, but really doesn't want the responsibility of running the business. And that's kind of how. Uh, that's kind of how I, I thought is I didn't know how to climb trees. In fact, when I got in the tree business, I'd never put a face cut in a tree. And, uh, but I watched them and then I, after a while I knew how to do it. And sometimes I had some close calls because I didn't do it quite right. But I always figured I could hire someone who was smart enough that wanted to work for someone else like me. And then I just had to try to have enough common sense to do the right decisions.
0: Right. I remember asking you once when when you started cutting trees. I remember thinking, man, Lauren, how did you learn how to cut trees? And I remember you saying, I don't. I just hired someone who knows how. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So um, I'm curious to know, too, because maybe some of our listeners can relate with this. Because, um, you know, anytime we're pushing to have success, we're bound to have failures, right? Failure is part of the process of getting to success, and we can learn through that. And for, for some people, they see failure as, as being bad. And so, and success is good. So if they have failure, that's bad. And maybe they're bad or they can have all kinds of stories they tell themselves. Maybe they're not good enough. Maybe they're not smart enough, whatever. But I'm curious in a relationship because I think that adds an extra dynamic where, where it can add an extra dynamic where, you know, the, the man wants to take care of his wife and, and look like the hero and be proud of the provider and then going through a, a situation like that. How did you guys pull together as a couple through that situation? What were some of the takeaways that you guys maybe learned through that? Well,
1: in terms of uh, real estate, I give almost 99% of the credit to my wife because I was still working at, uh, at a major shopping center doing commercial leasing. But she would literally haul four or five kids, throw them in the van, go down to the assessor's office, look on the microfiche, and look up whoever had, uh, you know, back taxes. And that's the only ones that she would write down. We bought houses that were not for sale, not the ones that were for sale. Because the people who didn't have, uh, who who their place wasn't for sale, a lot of times they didn't even know the market. And you could find some really good deals. And my wife would write those 35, 36 letters. And she'd get, she she literally, when she would write a letter, And it was like two lines long. Hi, we're a small investor. We saw your house on, you know, North Terry Street, and it's really cute. If you'd like to sell it, give me a call, and I'll make you an offer. Brenda. Well, they'd call, and, of course, she would organize them all alphabetically. And when they'd call, I'd say, Brenda, there's somebody on the phone. It's an investor. And I'd just hand the phone over to her because she's really she can talk really well. And next thing you know, they're talking about their grandkids and the trip they went on. And I'm like, get her into the house, dang it. You know, what's going on? And before long, she had built a relationship and then would meet. And then, you know, that's their best friend, Brenda, you know. And, and we would go around and look at their house. And, and oftentimes uh, it was really easy to make an offer because we, they would tell us in a way if they thought what it was worth. And we literally would ask, well, do you think it's worth what it's assessed? And they would always go, oh, no, it's worth more than that. Or they'd say, yeah, that's about what it is. Or, oh, I wish it was worth that. And that in- immediately would tell us right about where they were. And then oftentimes we could make an offer and we'd get a deal. Yeah. And so I think just by, you know, so Brenda's relationship. Because
0: you weren't a real estate agent at the time. You are now. Um, but was how did you know the real value of the home was it just from being well, we, in the market we, and seeing it well we became an expert
1: in just one small section of the city in the in the north or inner northeast part of portland we knew we knew it like the back of our hand in fact after a while probably i'd say 8 or 9 houses we never even went inside before we signed the papers we would literally just do the deal sign the papers and knock on the door and tell the tenant hi I'm the new owner. They're like, what? I wanted to buy this house. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can if you want. <laughs> and one one deal we actually did, we made ten thousand uh, dollars the day we, you know, a couple weeks after we closed because they wanted to buy it. And so, but Brenda would do all the all the work, and then she kind of at that certain point would kind of turn it back, turn it to me, and then we'd both, you know, would finalize it, and and then we'd just. Go in, clean the house up in about a week, and and we'd rent it, and we'd have more money than we started with because the first payment wasn't even due yet, and uh, so that's kind of how we did. We we kind of worked as a team, and uh, she she always found the houses, and luckily for me, Brenda loves houses. She loves to look at them, and and uh, so we, but we became experts in just one area, and that way, I mean, we weren't buying expensive houses because that way, if we messed up. And some houses we probably paid more, but you know you can always rent them, and then later they're going to go up in value. Yeah. And uh, but when people start buying really expensive houses, like in a really well-to-do area, well, yeah, your rents are higher, but your risk is higher because you got big mortgage payments. So,
0: so Brenda, when when you guys went through that period, because I think people look at you now and they see the success that you guys have and the things you're able to do and then be like oh they're just so lucky it just all just fell together for them you know what advice would you give say you know maybe a younger married couple or even even a couple in their 40s who maybe they're just like you know they're struggling or maybe they feel like man there's got to be something more um what advice would you give
1: well, it's funny that you said that because when people would say how lucky we were, and I'd say, "Yeah, the harder I work, the luckier I get," yeah. and uh, and that's usually what it comes down to. Yeah.
2: Well, I actually went to a seminar, a real estate real estate seminar, and um, some lenders were there, and they said the very best thing that maybe a young couple could do is buy a duplex because you can get, you know, like pretty good programs and you don't have to have a t- huge amount down you could probably get in for like $10,000. So you do have to save something or you can be gifted by your parents. Mm-hmm. But um um but then you can live on one side and rent out the other and and then after one year you can get another loan because it's kind of considered multifamily and yeah. so that's kind of a good way to start.
0: Because that multifamily doesn't count against you in terms of your debt to yeah you income can, yeah you ratio. can get
2: another loan and and you'd have to talk to uh, a you know a good loan officer but uh, and they can there a lot of those loan officers are good coaches too yeah. because I've sent the I've sent my favorite loan officer people that are completely unlendable and then in six months um, he's he's done. Things with their, you know, debt and everything. Like, like one one of my uh, clients, they had a lot of debt and s- terrible, terrible credit. And um, the loan officer said, "Well, what you have this huge honking in truck payment, but you don't owe that much on it. So why don't you just refinance it and then you'll qualify?" So that's all they had to do, and and they had to wait yeah. because your their credit had to go up a little bit. But then they were able to get their first house, and they were they were um, fifty about 50 years old when they bought their first house. Yeah. So it's totally possible to buy a house. Everybody can buy a house. Yeah.
0: Now you guys have had several businesses and you guys obviously have real estate. Um, as you look back, like, would you say real estate is, is the better investment to to buy into real, real estate? estate? Well, real estate creates
2: or? a residual income. So, But six years ago, I mean, when we were in our 40s, we, we didn't have any um, investment properties because we'd st- <laughs> it took us so long to come back from our yeah. huge catastrophe. Yeah. And, um, but in the last six years, we've, we've bought, well, now we own 10 properties, yeah. and, but three of them are, multiple well, well if we've got um, two buildings that have multiple tenants, and then we bought a hotel which yeah. was a really great investment last year,
0: And they all cash flow really well. Yeah, they all cash yeah. flow,
2: yeah, and well, one of them was a church, it was and um we bought an old church and then we turned it into fifteen different units and um and so you know it's
1: so uh, we would take buildings that were being underutilized, and we would uh bring it to a better and higher use. And so something that someone would think was only worth like three hundred and eighty or four hundred thousand dollars, maybe a big apartment building, Uh, you know, just by repurposing the building, just like that church. You know, the church isn't worth anything and nobody wants to live in a single family home uh, that was a church with a big stage and everything. Uh, But we took it and turned it into this other use and now it's worth, you know, three times the amount that we that we per- purchased it for. Uh, another one was an old hotel that was built in 1908. Well, it was virtually uninhabitable because the guy wouldn't put any money into it. So we took it over and it was a long project. It was, it was probably a good long three-year project of just slowly making the rooms better. and And now that cash flows really well and it's... It's worth, you know, five or six times what it, what it was. And so a lot of times, uh, you can create a lot of wealth and, you know, when your tenants are paying your mortgage down, um, and your proper, and as you increase your rents naturally, just because that's the market, it's amazing how much, much wealth you can create by actually not really doing anything other than just managing your tenants. And so every property is worth the income stream that it produces and so um so we would always look for things that we felt we could bring to a higher use and uh you know like i said before if there was something had a basement we'd build it out and it was worth a lot more and so um so that's that's kind of just how we little by little we would just you know buy one after another
2: And, and also, um, I have encountered a lot of people who, um, you know, they get hung up on the neighborhoods or they get hung up on the areas or, uh, you know, they want to be near their sister, you know what I mean? And so the, for your first house, you should just be able to live wherever you just, even if it's next to your railroad track. If it's a really good deal and you can make money, then and you know it's like really under the market, um, you can still make money. You, I know the first um, the first thing and the rule in real estate is location, location, location. But and that is true. But if you find a dump next to a railroad tracks and you still could make two thousand dollars on it, then it's still an investment. And especially if it's your, I mean, a good investment. Especially if it's your first one. Yeah. Because sometimes you just have to get your foot in the door, yeah. and then you can make your couple thousand on that one, and then you then you bump up, you know, like we did to the two bedroom, and then you know, but
0: we're gonna take a quick break, and then when we come back, I've got a couple of questions um, for both of you, and appreciate you guys being here. We'll be right back after this. Back to the podcast again. We're here with Lauren and Brenda. They are entrepreneurs and real estate investors, and appreciate you guys staying on for another segment. Brenda, I wanted to talk to you again. Lauren and Brenda are my brother and sister in law, and so obviously know them very well and their kids and and um, and one of your daughters was telling me Brenda once about how amazing you are, how you just have like these gut feelings and hunches, and I know you've you've said you've been in houses before where you're like, I just know we need to have this house. And she says, you know, at times that she's just, you've been shopping and you can just get a feel that you need to talk to this person. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about that and maybe, and maybe just touch on how you feel like maybe that's part of, does that play into any of your guys' success as a business? Do you, do you rely heavily on your, on your intuition and your hunches or?
2: Yeah, I do. Okay. I, um, I, we, it's funny you, you said this cause we were just talking about this, but the every house that we've bought or building that we've bought i felt so good about it except for the couple that i kind of forced and the one that i forced was that horse ranch that we lost everything on but um but the but this just barely happened last month i i felt i was scrolling through the the real estate market and i saw this house and i was like what is this it was like a new listing and I zipped over, and I ran over to look at it, and the moment I walked in the door, I was so—I fell in love with that house. There was something spiritual that happened to me in that house. Like, I knew that was supposed to be my house, and I felt like I should fight for it and get it. And I walked through each room, and it it just— I don't, I can't explain it to you, but it was like almost a spiritual experience because I instantly loved that house, and um and then I I called Lauren and I said get over come look at this house you know and and he liked it too but I and what's really interesting is um we did have to fight for the house because we were going through this uh, you know the whole virus stuff and it was messing up our our plans and the money things. And we were juggling money from here to there and, you know, trying to make because everything loans work. And things like that. Yeah. kind of put
0: on hold. The and banks
2: were um, pulling, putting the brakes on everywhere. And, and so then I, but, and so we did have to stall it and fight for it and work for it. And, um, but now I'm just, I'm just so excited that I, I got that house. I love that house. And we paid two sixty two for it, but it's, uh, I mean, with the improvements, it'll be easily worth four hundred thousand. So it's like, but that really wasn't exactly why I wanted that house. I, there was just something about that house. I love that house, and it's just a cute little house. And there was a
0: challenge. I remember you telling me this story, and, and there was a, it was a lot of work to get everything to line up as far as the lending, but it all it all ended up falling into place. Yeah. And there was maybe like three different occasions where you could have just thrown your hands Oh yeah. and like it's not gonna happen.
2: And they and they were all walked away, but I had to kinda talk of talk them back into it, like we're almost there, we're almost just hanging there, hanging in there, you know, we can get through this. We got the we can do it, we can do it. And they did and we got it. But there's other there's other houses that I felt that way about too. I mean, when we first bought our first little Victorian house in Portland, I mean that thing was barely hanging on. It was we couldn't even get homeowner's insurance on it because it was it was so dilapidated. The insurance agent came out and said, uh, "After you fix it up, we'll insure it." Yeah. And it was full of mice. I mean, it was so gross. Was all yeah, all the plumbing was busted out. But was this
0: one of your earlier homes? Yes,
2: yeah, it, it was one of our very early earliest homes in Portland. But when we walked in, we're like. This is it. we love this house, and even the realtor goes, "You love this house, <laughs> but it just felt so right yeah. and um and it's been that way with a lot of almost everything except for the ones that we failed on and I didn't listen to my yeah. gut and and you know, so yeah
0: so now you're pretty you listen to that pretty yeah, pretty carefully
2: yeah when it feels about you, right. you
0: get do you get some of those same kind of impressions or if Brenda has the the gut feeling. You just go with it.
1: Well, I think that a lot of times, uh, you know, there's often times, there's often times when you, you can buy a house and you may not lose, but you may not make a lot of money. But so sometimes it's, you know, it's not like it's the worst thing, um, when you do buy a house and you're not sure. And, you know, you got questions, but a lot of times for us, it's been, we felt really good about it. We could see some instant potential and so you get excited about it and then you feel really good about it. But, you know, one of the things that, um, that I learned early on is, um, and I used to say this all the time is that you will only make the amount of money that you believe you can make. Yeah. And, and I, and after we lost all of our money and, uh, all I had was a tractor mowing fields for farmers and I was making, you know, 35 to $45 an hour. And, and I, had, I think I read this in a book, you know, about, you know, like making how much you believe you can make. And so I, I started thinking, well, I want to make a hundred dollars an hour. And then, uh, one day I was going through the paper trying to figure out what kind of contractor I could be. I didn't want to lay carpet, and I didn't want to, you know, do tile, and and then I came upon this stump grinding, and I went, "What's stump grinding?" Oh, it's grinding out tree stumps that people have cut trees down. So I bought my first one on eBay, went out, picked it up. I I bought it because it was in Portland, not that it was probably the best one, but yeah. and uh, went home and tried to learn how to run it, and. <laughs> And so I went to a couple of people, I'd mowed some fields and I had to go around these stumps. And I said, I'll grind that stump. And they go, I can't afford it. And I said, well, how much can you afford? And they said, 50 bucks. And I said, okay, I'll do it for 50 bucks. And I learned how to do my stump grinder that way. But the thing is, is I realized that that stump grinder that I bought, I could grind about $100 an hour when I was grinding. Well, it wasn't too long that I started thinking about how, how can I make more money? I mean, maybe I could make more than two, than a hundred. And one day I was getting some teeth at the dealer and he said, why don't you buy this stump grinder? And he goes, this one will grind at $300 an hour. And I went, well, I can barely find enough work to do a hundred dollars an hour. He goes, oh no, if you start, if you buy this, you'll start getting bigger jobs and make more money faster. I think, well you don't understand. I, I lost everything I have, I filed bankruptcy. I says I have I have nothing. I'm living in a rental. In fact I'm living above a, a bar right now. And uh and so he goes, Well, we really want to sell this stump grinder, so I'll tell you what, we'll work something. Payments. It's you know, it's only, you know, thirty three thousand dollars or forty thousand dollars, I can't remember now. <laughs> and he goes, All you have to do is make thirty three hundred dollars m- a month payments. And I looked at him like, are you crazy? My rent's not even, you know, half that. He goes, oh, you'll make it. Believe me, you'll make it. So I did take a leap of faith. I came up with a few thousand dollars as a down payment. And I started thinking, yeah, I'm going to make $300 an hour. And then everywhere I went, I start, I, now I could grind stumps four times as fast. So a lot of these people would give me these really big stumps that they didn't want to have to do. And so I was getting a thousand dollars a stump or twelve hundred dollars a stump, and and usually I was doing it in three hours, and I was like, wow, that's pretty good for three hours, and and then before long I was getting fields of stumps. I remember driving by a place and I, I went by and I went, oh my heck, that guy cut all his trees down. So I knocked on his door and he goes, well, I can't afford the stumps, and I go, well, could I give you a, a bid on it? And he goes, sure, and I said, well tell you what, uh, for $3,200, I'll, I'll grind all the 80 stumps he goes, you'll do all those stumps for that. And I go, yeah, well now I had a stump grinder that went really fast. It took me an entire Saturday, but at the end of the night, just as the sun was going down, I finished the last one, walked over and got my $3,200. And I went, wow, that's like one payment worth on this stump grinder. Anyway, we ended up paying that stump grinder off in eight or nine months and uh and it shocked us. Yeah. but I was now making three hundred dollars an hour and uh and that's sort of how we kind of tailed into uh doing trees um and I soon realized that the only reason I don't make more money is because I'm not that' cause that's what I believe I can make I need to expand my horizon and so Anyone can make any amount of money that they want. They just have to believe it and then start putting things into into place.
2: We'll just tell a quick story of just the last six years in a nutshell. Um, we took our house. We had some equity in it, and I know I realize you have to have a house with equity. But we pulled out. Was it sixty thousand? We pulled out sixty thousand and we bought two places with it. Two um, uh, duplex. And a two bedroom, but that was owned by the same guy, mm-hmm. and they were next to each other. And then we, we, maybe you should tell the story because I.
1: <laughs> well, so. what we did is we we bought this place. They were asking two hundred thousand and uh, for both places, and we thought, wow, that's a really good deal. But they only wanted to sell it as one property. But we checked with the county, and they were on separate tax lots well, no one can get a lender. No one will lend on a a multifamily and a regular. So what we did is we knew these people, the guy had died and, and these people just wanted to liquidate and get their money and they didn't want to mess around. So what we did is we went and we, what we actually did is we went to the bank and we got a line of credit. And so we got actually a hundred thousand dollar line of credit. And we did that when we didn't, need the pro- need the money. It was before we even found these properties. And then when this came up, we thought, okay, they want, you know, 200,000. So we offered 150,000 cash. However, we didn't have 150,000. So we said, we're going to give you $150,000 cash, but we're going to give you a hundred right now and we're going to give you 5,000 a month for 10 months. And they said, okay. So we sucked our whole 100000 line of credit, paid it down. We immediately started, uh, you know, cleaning things up and then realized the duplex didn't need anything. So what I did is I went to the bank and I said, hey, you know, we bought these two properties and we basically own them free and clear. And so, but we'd like to get a permanent financing on our duplex. And they said, well, how much did you pay for it? And I go, I don't know, because we had to buy it together. You'll just have to do an appraisal. So, so they, uh, they ended up, uh, going to do an appraisal and they came back and they said, well, Mr. Filling, we only give you a hundred thousand. And I said, okay, I can do that. So they gave me a hundred thousand. And then now I had a hundred, hundred thousand I gave. And then this was all under one month time period. So we called the people up and I said, Hey, I'm going to be a few days late making that first payment. but, if you'll just give me a few more days, I'm, I'm going to pay the whole thing. And they go, great. So I gave them their 50000 and now I had $50,000. Yeah. And then we went and we fixed up the other house because it needed some work. And we went to the bank and said, well, we'd like to uh, you know, get permanent financing on this house. And they said, well, how much is it worth or how much do you pay for it? Well, I don't know because we bought them together and you just have to do an appraisal. They came back and they said, well, I'll give you like 108,000 or, and I was like, all right. So they gave me that money. And so, so now I only, uh, so now I had, well, basically by the time I ended up paying everything off, I I paid my line of credit all the way off and still create and still had an extra $50,000 left over. And and then then we had an apartment building that came up that we really wanted, and just out of the equity f- from there and a little bit of money that we'd saved, we were able to come up around ninety thousand dollars to buy this this property, the new, building. the new building, and the bank gave us a loan on it amazingly enough and uh and that's kind of how everything just each each property contributed to the next property, to the next property, because real estate holds value and it creates value and you have net worth and then you can then use your net worth to buy other stuff that makes you more net worth. And that's why in six years we bought 10 houses and buildings and apartments and, and and a hotel. And, uh, and now we, we look back and we're like, wow, we have no debt only loans on our properties and they're cash flowing very, very well. And six years ago, there's no way you could ever save that kind of money because yeah. no one can save money because you, your money, the amount of money you make, your, your lifestyle always expands to the amount of money you make. It takes a lot of discipline and we did do a lot of, you know, delayed gratification. We didn't buy any new cars. We we stayed away from payments because that always affected our borrowing ability on yeah. another property. So that's kind of how we how we did it.
0: But you feel like like going back to when you were mowing lawns and grinding stumps and thinking, oh, I want to make a hundred dollars an hour. Like you feel like that was the, what that's what started that. It wasn't like you made a hundred thousand or you made a hundred dollars an hour and like, oh, I can make a hundred. You started thinking, man, I want to make three hundred an hour.
1: Right, and it was almost like that, an experiment.
0: And then that opportunity presented itself.
1: Right. And here's the thing is if you don't put yourself in the right position, when the opportunity comes, you can't take advantage of it anyway. So if there's a super excellent deal, real estate deal, but you haven't prepared for it, you, you can't get it. And so when we, when I used to make a hundred dollars an hour and later $300 an hour, and then later $400 an hour with each crew and, you know, as it, continued to multiply any of our profit, we would go and instead of buying a new truck, which I could afford, um, it went into long-term residual income type things. And if you're too scared to do something, buy a candy machine or a gumball machine, something that makes you money when you're not working. Because now with real estate, You know, we manage our own properties, but, you know, we could get a property management company and not do anything. But we like real estate, and we feel like we can take care of our properties well. And so, you know, but even if someone, I think Brenda had mentioned earlier, even if you just buy one house, just do one house. And if you're so scared about risk, just do one house. And in 20 years, 15, 20 years, you might have it all paid off. You'll have several hundred thousand dollars worth of value and you'll have income coming in. And you know what? At least you can do that. You don't have to be a real estate mogul because you you know, you think, oh wow, you know, I could never do that. Just do one house. Just buy one extra house. Yeah, one extra house.
0: Well, I think it's interesting because I I mean there's a lot of self-development books that talk about um making a decision. And talking about like visioning what you want, and so, but I just want to point out this is your experience. Like you, you thought, man, I want to make three hundred dollars an hour, and then an opportunity presented itself that made you three hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. And so this isn't you like you didn't just write this book and like you're hawking a book. Like this is your experience. Like that's what you did and that's what happened. And you're saying if you make that decision, if you if you see yourself, and I think it relates to to you guys saying. We just believe that we always were supposed to have money. Even when you were in a situation where you didn't.
2: Well when it, even as a kid in a in a middle um, middle class family, I would write I would make designs of a, a gigantic house with secret passageways and I just love the idea of having secret secret passageways and now I live in a big house with secret passageways. So it's like your brain really I mean you if you want to call the universe, if you want to call yeah. it the brain, if you want to call it the secret, right. whatever it is, you know, whatever you dream, it will come true. So, whatever you want to dream, if you if your dream is to have a F350 all souped up, you know, pickup truck, then you just keep thinking about it and put it on your fridge and you will have it. Yeah. it you'll get it. Because your brain, it's like what it's like what they said, you Create the dream, and then the opportunity will come, and then you right. can get it. But you also have to be smart. Like you can't lay on your couch. Yeah. You have to work you for part. it. Like you buy the bulldog, yeah. and then you still you still have your job over here. But your bulldog's in your yard, yeah. and then you can breed the bulldog. And yeah, it's hard. We it wasn't super easy to breed bulldogs, but you know.
0: There's a book called uh, *Secrets of a Millionaire Mind*. It's by T. Ecker or T. T. Harv Ecker. Anyway, he says something to the effect that rich people work hard for money that then continues to come in the rest of their life and then poor people just work hard for money.
2: Well, and we used to have this guy that worked for us and he said, Yeah, my dad always told us told us kids that there's two ways to make money. You make money with your mind or you make money with your hands. And so, you know, if you if you exercise your brain, then you can make money with your brain. Yeah. and or you can be the labor guy it's okay it's, you know sure. every job is honorable sure. it's just that um you know to make residual income you kind of have to you know you have to do both yeah. So yeah. because yeah. if you want to be an electrician that's fine but yeah. you know just buy that extra house you know because or or start a little company that kind of runs itself and you can hire an employee just like our hotel it's It was really hard to in the hotel for the first six months. I thought I was tearing my hair out. But then I learned how to make, you know, try to change it and make it run on itself. And now I have people that run it. So I just do a little bit of it.
0: So I just got two last questions for you. Um, One is you guys talk about self-development. When you think back, are, are there any book titles that come to mind, the books that really made an impact or helped you to see things differently. You might recommend as far as a
1: well one that was written I think back in the 1800s. It was called As a Man Thinketh mm-hmm. by James Allen. It you have to read it kind of slow cuz every sentence has so much information in it, but it basically talks that your mind is like a garden and you need to cultivate it and plant seeds and and anyway, that's that's a really good book.
2: And Dale Carnegie how to win friends influence people.
1: And what was that There's another one called uh, Think and Grow Rich uh, by Napoleon Hill. Um and you know, there's a lot of uh books. I mean, I could go on and on, um, all the different books that there are that Oh yeah, how to
2: build a real estate money machine. Yeah,
1: there was the one called book. How to Build a Real Estate Money Machine, you know.
2: That was the first book
1: that changed changed me. Yeah. And there's a lot of good ideas and it's you know, the thing about real estate is it's, it's bricks and mortar. It's, it's solid, you know? I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that you can have, but you know, one thing that weathers the storm, weathers the storm, because I remember real estate when I was a kid and you could just buy a piece of property and resell it and make a few thousand dollars. And then the 19, early 1980s hit and then everything went to pot. And then there was Basically, uh, at the end of the recession, you know, real estate starting going up again. And then, you know, I looked around, uh, when I was in Portland and pe- the way people were buying houses, I was like, Oh my heck they've, they don't remember when there was a, a, a real estate crash. And sure enough, 2008 hit. And a lot of these people who had bought three and four houses at one time that were expensive, all of a sudden they lost everything. And, uh, And we almost lost everything, but luckily we were able to, to make it through that recessionary period. And then there were opportunities and, and that came about.
2: Well, so in other words, real estate is a, is an excellent investment, but you have to make sure that you cover yourself because in a recession, you could lose everything. Because here we're just saying all the real estate's great, and then we, you could lose everything. But yeah, but you, you don't just want have to overextend be, yourself. Yeah, don't be too over leveraged or whatever they call it. Because you got you just have to make sure that you're, uh, you know, like you, you got to be able to. Thank you, Mark. If you have to lower your rents, can you lower your rents? You know, can you you know can you protect yourself? Because right. you know we have been burned on real estate, but on the most part. If you're smart and you make money when you buy it, then you're you'd probably be okay, you know most likely ninety five percent be okay <laughs> awesome.
0: so if you could put a message on a billboard that every that the whole world could see, what would you want it to say
1: Well, there's a quote that I love the most it says, "What would you do if you knew that you could not fail and uh and that's how you have to think. I couldn't fail, what would I try to do? And sometimes you just have to do that. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of one of my favorite quotes.
0: Wow. Brenda, what about you?
2: Um, probably just believe believe in yourself, and believe that you're worthy to have your dreams come true.
0: Well, Lord, thanks for taking time to be on the show today. And uh, hopefully uh, our listeners will take some of this to heart, do some self-development, make some decisions, and go out and make a lot of money and change the world.